Luke chapter 10, and uh, very quickly, I want to uh, just give you a little bit of um, a preface to what's going on. The Lord sends 70 men out, two by two, to do a work for his kingdom. There's power in this uh, story because it shows us the power of unity. It shows us the power of what 70 people can do, but he did not send one of them alone. He sent 70 two by two. Look at somebody close to you and say, I need you and you need me. Amen. So he sent them two by two, 70 of them, and this is the beginning of the expansion of what he's doing. He pours himself into 12, then he gets 70 together and he sends the 70 out. And so in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy. And they said, Lord, even the devils, the demonic powers are subject unto us through thy name. Because of the power of your name, you sent us. And the devils are subject unto us. Now, I wasn't there. But this next line paints a picture for me that the, the, the look on the face of Jesus was not stunned. Jesus did not have a surprise look on his face when the 70 came back and said, Lord, we want to fill you in on something here. We want to let you know that the devils are even subject to us. Oh, my word. Please tell me what happened. How do you know? What? Did you cast the devil out? He looks back to them. Now, I, I, I don't want to paint a picture of an arrogant Messiah. But he had to have a cockeyed grin. When they said the spirits are subject unto us, and he just kind of cocked a little crooked smile, and he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I already saw him fall. I beheld him as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you, what he say? Power. Power to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Aren't you glad that scripture does not mean that we can take up serpents in church? Somebody asked me some time ago, they said, what are you? I said, Pentecostal. They said, do you guys handle snakes? No. No, thank you. The only good kind of snake is a dead snake. I have power to tread on them. And I will tread on them with car tires or guns or shovels or whatever must happen. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding... In this, rejoice not. Think about it. 
Do not rejoice over your authority. That's not a reason to rejoice. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but if you want a reason to rejoice. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. I want to preach to you this morning. I've got something to rejoice about. I've, hallelujah. Y'all are going to help me. I feel it in here right now. Woo, go ahead. Lift that to Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, I feel help coming in the room right now. Woo, blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe a little revelation just came into the room a moment ago. There's somebody who came in here today and didn't think you had any reason to rejoice, just realized you've got a reason to rejoice. Praise God. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. God's going to help us in this place. <laughs> I want to begin today perhaps what may appear to be a little bit slow because I feel like I need to lay some groundwork and some understanding. The context of this scripture is Jesus letting them know that the spirits are subject to you because of the name. The power is in the name. The power is in the name that you carry. It's in the name of Jesus. The power is not in you as in who you are or what you've done to deserve it or because you're something else. You know, I was talking to my buddy the other day and I was like, man, you did a great job. He was being facetious. He said, yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. And that's, that's the truth. Sometimes when we do something for the Lord and it goes good, we look up to heaven and we say, you know, God, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> Somebody come up and pat you on the back and say, man, you sang so good today. Yeah. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. And so the disciples, 70 of them, come to Jesus. And I don't know who the mouthpiece was, probably Peter, because he was always talking. And... He looks at Jesus and he says, hey, we're kind of a big deal. And Jesus says, why? I mean, what makes you such a big deal? And he's like, well, you know, you sent us out two by two. And we discovered while we were out there among the wolves that the spirits are subject to your name. Now, he's rejoicing about the spirits being subject unto them, but confessing at the same time it took your name to make it happen. Brother Jack Cunningham tells a story about he and his uncle Billy Cole. You just have to know about Brother Cole to know the, really how uh, 
sincere this story is. Brother Cole was sold out to the work of God and uh, has gone on to meet his reward. But his nephew, Jack Cunningham, still doing great things for God. And he was a young preacher. And uh, they invited uh, the bishop to come and preach at a denominational church. And so they were on their way to the service. And this, this church needed some Jesus name preaching and they wanted Bishop Cole to come do that and said they were on their way in the suburban or whatever and uh, the vehicle and Brother Cole turned around and he said, Jack, you will be preaching today. So he got really nervous. He said, man, I was scared to death and I went into that service and he said, I stepped up and I preached. And I gave it everything I had. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I dropped my melon. He said, it, it was atrocious. I got up there and I preached, gave it everything I had, but apparently it just wasn't enough. He said, we got back in the car to leave. And man, I was down. He said, I was so down. I was frustrated. God had opened a door for us for revelation to come. And he said, here I am preaching and I dropped my melon. So he said, I started in. Uncle Billy, I am so sorry. You gave me an opportunity. He said, I blew it. I'm so sorry. And he said, I'm back there mumbling and fumbling and ticked off and mad at myself. And he said, Uncle Billy turned around from the front seat and pointed his finger at me and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. He said, Uncle Billy. Why would you rebuke me in the name of Jesus? He said, because if you're going to take the credit for it when it goes bad, you'll take the credit for it when it goes good. What he was saying is, I'm kind of a big deal. That should have went better than that. They don't know who was preaching for them today. And Brother Cole called him back to the reality. You are nothing without Jesus. You are nothing without the power of the name of Jesus. And so the disciples that had gone out, the 70 that had gone out, came back and they said, Lord, we did something mighty today. But Jesus speaks of this very thing coming to light on judgment day. Stay with me here. I'll preach in just a minute, but I've got to get this in your spirit. Jesus said that in that day, many would come to him and say to him, Lord... Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? I'm kind of a big deal. We did ministry. We healed the sick. The spirits were subject unto us. He is setting the precedent with the 70. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you. Because in that day, there will be many that say, we had power. But what you did not have was a relationship with me that caused your name to be written in heaven. Jesus said, the spirits being subject to you are not a reason for you to rejoice. Because they are not subject unto you, they are subject unto my name. 
Because of them not rejoicing over the spirits being subject unto them, this leads a lot of people in the 21st century church to believe that since it's nothing to rejoice over, then we should not see this manifest in our churches. I've never quite understood. Somebody asked me some time ago, they said, do you guys actually see devils cast out? And I said, absolutely. They said, you mean you've had like demons manifest and be cast out? I said, yes. They were like, are you serious? And I, my response to them was, are you serious? This is the point of the church. Why in the world would we be a body of believers empowered by the only saving name of Jesus and expect people to come here oppressed, possessed, depressed and leave the same way they came? You can mark it down today. This preacher still believes in the power of the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been oppressed and pushed down. If you've been possessed, it doesn't matter to me. There is power in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout power. I can't imagine being part of a church that says, that's too crazy. Can I tell you, it's the very thing you're talking about us casting out that puts that mindset in people. If we can ever, I, I preached on this uh, last Sunday night about understanding the enemy wants to attack our basic foundations and doctrines and ideas. You remember that if you were here. Maybe you don't. But the principle is this. If he can get us to question our foundational faith, then he's already got the battle won. Understand me when I tell you, if he can ever get us convinced that we are not still casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead, seeing blind eyes open and deaf ears hear, then he's already got the battle won. I'm telling you right now, we did not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost to occupy a pew. We receive the Spirit of God to take that dunamis power into the world and let them know there is power in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry today, but I do not believe that somebody can walk in this house demon-possessed and the Spirit of God manifest in this house and them still sit there and leave here possessed. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Not if the authentic power and glory of God is released in this church. And that's exactly why. I understand I'm not being critical. But that is exactly why the modern church is not seeing devils cast out like they used to. It's not the power of God that has changed. It's the fact that we want to build bigger buildings and tell God we're kind of a big deal. Fill more rear ends in more seats and say, God, we're doing you a favor. 
But all we're doing is making church attenders and churchgoers. We're not making disciples. Jesus said, if you're going to be one of my disciples, let me get about 70 of you together. And I'm going to send a witness with each of you. And when you go as a witnessing couple, you're going to come back and tell me that the power of Jesus is still working in the earth. We've got our little product figured out, man. We've got it, we've got it just down right. It's polished. It's, it's so good. It's just, just right. You can walk into any church today and hear uh, one of about a pool of 20 or 25 songs. Everybody sing because they heard it on K-Love. And then the stage lights are going to go out and they're going to come back up and someone's going to step out with their Shakespeare offering we're so glad that you came give us thou thine offering it's like we've turned this into this theater act we're spending all our time polishing the music spending all our time polishing the presentation and possessed people are walking in our church and being admitted into the pew and then into the choir It's hard to cast demons out of people when your praise team's got demons. It just got real, didn't it? I told you I was going to be slow for a few minutes. I want to tell you right now, it's hard to cast out spirits of perversion when you're letting your music directors be effeminate and perverted and homosexual and say, oh, but they're so gifted. The Lord said, I don't need your gifting as much as I need your name written down in the book of life. I need you to be certain. Don't act like you're a big deal because the spirits are subject unto you. They're subject unto my name. I need your name written down. You got to get your name written down. Oh, preacher, why would you be so judgmental? I'm telling you, it's that spirit that produces that question. How in the world can we have pity on, on, on sin... And expect the church to be clean when he comes back for a church without spot or blemish. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, God is not impressed with our shaved haircuts and skinny jeans. God is not impressed with stage lights and theatrical type setting. That, That does not make God... Just really move and do something powerful. Their buildings are popping up everywhere with enough resources to pay cash for them. And then these guys that are preaching this sloppy agape grace message are killing themselves literally. I'm I'm fixing to get real for just a second, so put your seatbelt on. I'm not not trying to sound ugly, and I realize what I risk when I say this. But I'm going to tell you, the enemy has a way of using tools, and he's not proud. He'll use anything he can use. But there have been two pastors in the last year in the sloppy agape movement that have taken their own life And when their church families gathered together to grieve the passing of their pastor, 
statements are made at their funeral that they have no more pain because they're finally with Jesus. You know what that does to a, a world that already feels hopeless? I'm, I told you it's about to get real, but if I don't stand up and proclaim it, my tongue will cleave to the roof of my mouth. I want to tell you what that does for a hopeless world that's already suicidal. When they stand up and they hear somebody that's supposed to be called out and redeemed and has a reason to rejoice, say, I couldn't find enough hope in what I'm preaching to you to be delivered. I want to tell you right now that suicide, and you hear me, I'm proclaiming this online and I'm proclaiming this in this church. Suicide is not the answer. And I am exposing and revealing the demonic forces that would cause you to believe that's your only exit strategy. You need the Holy Ghost to touch your mind and your spirit while you're in this house today. And if we need to help you go a little further and get you some counseling, we'll do that. If we need to find a psychiatrist to help you, we'll do that if you really need the help. But I'm telling you, it is not that hopeless. It's not that hopeless. And we need some men of God that will stand up with a resounding call and declare to this world, it is not an answer. It is not an alternative to a breakthrough. I'm not denying the power of mental health. I'm telling you it's a real issue that needs to be dealt with. But when people who are supposed to know the answer and preach about the answer stand up before a congregation uh, and, and their families and their friends gather around their, their casket and they say they are declaring to the world that if you can't get the answer you need in the house of God, then just go blow your brains out. It breeds a spirit that begins to work in the body of people. That if I can't get healing and help in that kind of atmosphere, there is no help. That's the problem with removing the supernatural from our services and having a superficial meeting together in Jesus' name. When we remove the authority of the name of Jesus in our churches and we remove the authority of the supernatural moving in our churches and we remove devils being cast out. I'm not saying everybody that commits suicide is devil possessed, so don't misquote me. But we find several people in the scripture that were devil possessed and trying to kill themselves and kill others. I hadn't walked out of the pages yet. Woo-wee. Had a man chained up at the tombs. Because he was cutting himself. He was a danger to society. A man came to Jesus and he said, my son... Is tormented. He said, My son is psychotic. I don't know what to do. I believe and I need you to help my unbelief. Jesus said, What's he doing? He said, He keeps throwing himself into the fire. 
He keeps trying to take his own life. How long has he been doing this? He said, since he was a baby. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we don't need professionals, and we need them. And I want God to raise up apostolic professionals that can help people on this level. But Jesus, who gave authority to the 70, looked at the tormented man that had been tormented since a child, and he commanded him upon the authority of his name to be free. And the scripture said that immediately, If you take away the immediately working power of Jesus in your church, you are a social club and gathering and not the house of God. Church, I know I don't need to preface everything I say to my fa- our, our church family, but I know that there are people here that don't know me and there are people watching that don't know me. So let me preface this. One more time and say, I believe in getting help. We have overcomers in this church today that were overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and even AA. Okay? Can I be real enough to tell you, I believe in the programs. 12-step, 8-step, whatever you do, I believe in the power of the program. But if you don't connect that To the power, the transforming, life-changing power of Jesus' name. You're setting yourself up to fail again. I believe in the power of positive thinking. But I also believe in the power of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Lord have mercy you know what I'm convinced the devil hates my guts I'm going to make a public statement not for pity but God's fixing to God's fixing to do a work in here before I'm done I'm standing up here preaching today and I've got a stupid migraine headache I'm nauseous to my stomach right now my head is spinning my eyes feel like they're about to pop out of my head and the devil does not want you to know today that there is a reason For you to rejoice in this house. You listen to me when I tell you. If you walked into this house today feeling hopeless. And feeling like you had no escape. And feeling like you had no exit. I'm telling you right now. That the authority in the name of Jesus. That rested on the 70. Is resting on me right now. And it's resting on you right now. I command every spirit of suicide. Every spirit of depression. Every demonic force of darkness. That would come against those under the sound of my voice. And on the internet right now. I command the voice to be silenced. I command the demons to go. I feel the authority of the Holy Ghost. Oh, shut the fuck up.
Deliverance is here this morning. Deliverance is here this morning. Hopelessness is a key that the enemy is going to use in your life to make you feel like it don't get better from here. I'm not telling you that as a man of God, I'm not telling you that I've ever been unstable enough to stick a gun in my mouth or a gun to my head. Understand me when I tell you. I'm not, I'm not confessing to you that I've dealt with spirits of suicide, okay? But I know people that have, and it's real. And I do know what it feels like to feel hopeless. Pastor, how could you feel hopeless? Because hopelessness is really, it's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. The homeless person feels hopeless because they don't think they're going to get a house. The wealthy person feels hopeless because they don't think they're going to be able to keep a friend that's going to love them and that they can trust. You understand what I'm saying? There's hopelessness from the richest to the poorest. And it's a tool that the enemy tries to use to get, it doesn't matter how fulfilled you are or what you've accomplished or what you've done. If he can make you believe that this is as good as it gets and that you're never climbing out. But I feel like I hear this morning the echoing sound of the psalmist when he said he brought me out of a terrible pit. I'm declaring in the house of God right now with the authority of the name of Jesus that before I'm done that somebody's coming out of that pit. Somebody's coming up out of that thing today. God is about to relieve somebody and you're going to leave here with a reason to rejoice. I've got a reason to rejoice. I've got something to rejoice about. So I'm saying to you that because it's not a reason to rejoice does not mean it's a reason to remove it from our churches. We cannot afford to remove the supernatural flow of the kingdom of God to be in operation in our church. It doesn't matter how much growth we have. You understand, Pastor. I'm confessing to you again publicly as I have many times before. This will not be the last sanctuary that we build. I'm declaring to you today the vision of God for this church is so much greater than what we see with our eyes. But understand me, if we have a 3,000 seat auditorium filled to capacity and nobody at all is ever delivered or healed or set free... I want to make a statement so that it goes on public record. Bishop and I were speaking in the office this week. I'm going to say this, and I believe it. I believe that there are going to be people that are going to get so tired of the superficial that they are literally going to uproot their families 
and move them to churches that still live, move, and have their being in him. I am declaring prophetically that some of the big box churches that have no power at all, they've got a form of godliness but deny the power, that somebody is going to get the revelation of the word and from such turn away. But God is going to use these... Now listen, it's not going to be for naught. You hear me? There are going to be thousands, and you write it down when I say it, thousands of people that have come to the knowledge of Jesus through means such as these that will begin to be convicted by the Holy Ghost and will be moved to a deeper relationship with God that is more than dermaficial, more than top layer. And God is going to take, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If you're wondering, I'm prophesying right now. And God is going to begin to transplant people and move them from places like this that cannot be satisfied with superficial relationship and move them to a place of depth in their hunger for God. I'm speaking this in the authority of the Holy Ghost and I'm telling you right now that God is going to send people that have been funding these kinds of buildings and these kinds of churches and God is going to transplant them and move them into the body of Christ. And our missionaries are not going to be home for a year or two years on deputation. Our missionaries are not coming home for six months. They're going to come home when they want to for the holidays and we're going to send them back to the field. I'm declaring it to you right now that God is about to release the inheritance of the wicked that he has stored up for the righteous it's going to happen in the name of Jesus church I want you to listen very closely to your pastor this morning the reason why I'm staying so close to God is not because I want to preach good If I hadn't got that figured out in 25 years, it ain't going to happen. The reason I'm staying so close to God, and I want this church so close to God, is because I believe that God, Brother Miller, I believe he's looking for churches that he can trust. I believe that God is looking for people and assemblies that he can trust. And he's going to get them postured and aligned and get the heart of the people. Hallelujah. In the right place. You hear me when I declare to you that if the Lord withholds his coming for very much longer, this church will be a sending church. And we will have missionaries that will leave this church fully funded into their field of labor. We will send pastors and market entire congregations out of this congregation into cities and surrounding areas. And they will go fully funded in the name of Jesus. And we will plant works all over the world for this gospel to be heard. Why? Because I'm not rejoicing that the devil's subject to me. I don't say this to be haughty. I don't say this to be haughty. 
Understand, Pastor, when I tell you that. I don't say this to be haughty. But the devil hates it when I wake up in the morning. He hates my blasted guts. And I hate his. But the difference is, he don't have what it takes to overcome me. And I've got everything I need. Oh my God. I said, I've got everything I need to overcome him. I'm supposed to be through preaching in six minutes. I think I can do it. Stay with me. We talk about authority over spirits. But we come to the house of God and you can tell we don't even have authority over our own flesh. We're frustrated with life, so we take it out on God. I'm going to tell y'all something. Not being ugly. But it don't matter what I go through. He deserves my best. You hear me? I feel a whole lot more comfortable doing this if she wasn't here this morning. But I stood in the room with my mother-in-law. The night that my father-in-law took his last breath. And I've never felt more hopeless for about three minutes than I did that night. When I saw my mother-in-law lift her hands to the Lord. And she said, Lord, I trust you. That's when I realized I've got a reason to rejoice. You listen to this preacher when I tell you, if anybody had a reason to quit, Job had a reason to quit. And his friends looked at him and said, you're a fool for not quitting. But Job said, I don't own anything I have anyway. Man, I feel my help in here right now. Shoot. You feel that river trying to break forth in here right now? He said, naked I came in, and naked I'm going to leave. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't rejoice today because of what I own. But I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost today that some of you think you've got things that you own, but you hear, Pastor, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. What you think you own really owns you. You wouldn't turn it loose today if God spoke to you. I'm telling you, listen to me. Hear me in the Holy Ghost today. 
There's nothing vain in me right now. But God couldn't use some of us today no matter how much he wanted to because we won't give him back what's his. It comes back to the things that we own. But you listen to this preacher today. I'm not, I'm not here to boss your life. You know I don't wear a badge. I'm not a policeman. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a watchman. But some of you have let things get between you and God. And that job owns you. And it has separated you from your purpose. And your desire is no longer to do whatever you have to do to be in the house of God. But to make whatever excuses you have to make to live a better life for you right now. I'm not going to be poor. I pray against the spirit of poverty in my life every day. So that's not what I'm saying. I don't believe God wants us walking around with holes in our shoes and holes in our britches. But you hear me right now. I'd rather live with holes in my britches and be broke as Job's turkey and make it to heaven than I would to wear the finest Armani suits, the finest of Italian shoes, drive the nicest of cars, and lose my soul. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice that you got a higher paying job. If you want to rejoice, rejoice that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm finishing. I got to hurry. I got two minutes. Three. reason why I preach from this chapter to you today is because this week I've been preparing my heart and I understand I'm not trying to convert anybody's ideas to anything. The book of Leviticus tells us about the feast of the Lord. It does not call them the feast of the Jews. It tells the feast of the Lord. I'm not a Jew. I have not converted to Judaism, but I believe in studying the feasts. I believe in seeing how it applies to my life. Tonight at sunset begins Rosh Hashanah. This is the beginning of the Jewish New Year. So uh, I had Brother Lang bring me some pomegranates from Skokie because during this time of year, for Rosh Hashanah, they'll eat apples dipped in honey for the sweetness of a new year. And the sweetness of the pomegranate, which I've never counted one, but they claim and declare that that pomegranate has 613 seeds in it. Anybody know how many laws there were? 613 laws. Anybody remember what the priest had on his garment when he walked into the Holy of Holies? Bells and... So he walked in with law and he walked in with praise. That's a whole different day. I'm not going to be done in two minutes with that one. But Rosh Hashanah is usually celebrated over a two-day period. And then there 
is a 10-day period that I would love to call this church to a solemn assembly of prayer and fasting over the next 12 days as they prepare in Jerusalem for the Day of Atonement to take 10 days to reflect, to repent. Now I believe that the feasts are very important for us to see. For one thing, we're moving into the Feast of Trumpets. Now you can say whatever you want to say, but I think there's a reason for us to be looking very, very closely at the Feast of Trumpets. Those of you that have studied this, I've got a, a Jewish buddy in this church. She's not really, but she's been my Jewish buddy for a long time, Sister McLean. She bought me my first talit. The Bible said at the last trump, the Lord is going to return. I believe, and I've, I've preached this in the past. We could go through this. I'm not going to take your time because I know your roast is burning and you're hungry right now. But I believe it's a very good possibility that the Lord is going to return on a high and holy day. Quite possibly during the Feast of Trumpets. But I also believe that the alignment of this is so powerful that at the blast of the trumpet, the purpose and intent is to search your heart and make certain that your name is written. Oh, God. That your name is written in the book. I do this every day, but this week I've been preparing my heart. And I've been asking the Lord that although no man knows the day or the hour, what if this feast, the trumpets this year, what if this is the one? Maybe you don't feel what I'm feeling right now because I'm preaching and you're tired. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Whether he comes back this afternoon during the Feast of Trumpets, on the day of Pentecost, Feast of First Fruits, it doesn't matter to me. What I want to be sure about before I leave this house this morning is that I have secured my reason to rejoice. Jesus said, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. But be certain that if there's something to rejoice about, you can rejoice that your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm closing. Because even good company can overstay their welcome. So I know you love me, but I want, I want you to stay with me. In Luke, the 15th chapter, the 10th verse, the Bible tells us of a woman that lost her coin. When she found her coin, she said, please rejoice with me because I found my coin. 
And a lot of times in your scripture, this is bumped up into the end of the rejoicing over the coin. But Jesus steps up and he says, likewise, I send you there is joy or rather rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. It's butted up against the story, but it's at the top of the story of the prodigal that we call the prodigal. And this is the story of a boy that leaves home prematurely, receives his inheritance and spends it riotously. But he comes to himself in a pig pen and turns around and makes his way back home. I wonder if oftentimes we're not butting this up against the wrong portion of scripture here. As Jesus is talking about the woman rejoicing over the coin, he says, but heaven rejoices when a sinner repents and then plainly lays out a foundation of what repentance looks like in picture. Repentance church is not a prayer. Repentance is coming to yourself and saying, I refuse to live one more day in a pig's pen. When my father is at home waiting on me, he wants to rejoice. Why do angels rejoice when a sinner repents? Because that doesn't mean that a sinner prays. It means that a sinner realizes there is more to this life than the life that you've been living. And it makes the angels rejoice. I'm closing with this. So I started reading why angels rejoice. And the Bible said in the same book of Luke, the second chapter, that when Jesus was born, that an angel of the Lord came down with a heavenly host. And they began to rejoice, singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Jesus, Yeshua, God has become salvation. The angels rejoiced when salvation came to men. But Jesus said another time that the angels will rejoice is when men come to the salvation of Jesus. If you want a reason to rejoice today, it's time to make the angels rejoice in your life. What I'm preaching to you is that salvation has come to us. Now we've got to come to salvation. If you have never repented of your sins, today would be a good time as we stand all across this building. God has given us every tool we need for freedom today. Some of you will be freed from the hand of the enemy this day. Some of you will leave here in the condition that you came in, not because God's not powerful enough, but you've got to submit your will to him. There has to be a turning from the pig pen to move in the direction towards your father's house. The angels rejoice to see the day of salvation. The angels will rejoice today when you come to salvation. I don't know how else to say this today, but to just open up an invitation to you and tell you that the Father is standing on the porch this morning. 